of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 390. Jason Lingren is with me and Jaron. He doesn't need much more of an intro than that. Uh, people know him from Jaronism. And uh, we're going to talk space. Now, people who have followed for a long time here know that Jason and I did a six episode, 12 hour run at almost every facet of space you could imagine. Uh, this is going to be a little bit different. First off, we're going to try to do a thing that demonstrates two people do not have to agree to have a valuable conversation and hopefully help the overall ideas along. And this is a good example because where I am and where I have arrived with space, I would imagine 98 percent of people that I don't meet aren't aren't prepared to to think about the things that I'm starting to accept. So this should be a good conversation. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a very stormy good afternoon. All right, let's jump right in. Welcome, Jaron. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to finally be on the show for real. Um, yeah. God, I didn't even realize that. That's, I don't know. You just gave me a black eye, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, the three of us have done quite a few shows together, I think, but Jaron has actually never been on the full show with us. That had never even occurred to me, and it's because we did, I guess it was TFR and other things. But anyhow, I should let everybody know the bullet points we're going to draw from Jaron brought with him. Uh, also, during the course of this episode, I'm going to take things on my side a little further than I have in the past. And the reason for that is, is because I see a lot of comments where people have gotten data about how this planet crashed into that planet to give you this planet. And um, it, that that is nowhere within the scope of what I'm willing to accept. I will give some things you can read that will give you the keyhole and the key if you're prepared to go to places that you really can't imagine. Anyhow, anything you want to get in before we jump here, Jaron? No, I'm just uh, such a big fan of the show and you guys have been with me many a long road trip. You guys get me through those 14 hour trips or whatever, you know, it's just a uh, quick seven episodes and you're there. So I really appreciate <laughs> your guys' work and I'm a big fan of Crow, always have been um, because I've never heard him tell me that I have to listen to him or that I have to believe what he says. And that's what I hear from a lot of people or that they know this or they know that. And I don't get that from you guys. I get uh, your opinion, your honest opinion, right? And then the evidence as to why you believe that. And then you leave it there. And then it's up to me to decide which things match my reality, which things can I kind of move into my belief column, which things can I kind of push aside and maybe they'll, you know, some will pop up in a year or two and I'll be like, oh, shoot, I remember when they talked about that and go back and check out that episode. So I appreciate that kind of work. If we had more people doing that rather than reading from teleprompters and telling us that they know that all sports are fixed or that they, you know, whatever nonsense these guys want to come up with today. Uh, I really appreciate you guys, your guys' work. Well, I guess we should we should probably put it on the record. So I'm going to try to think back and remember I had the high life in the 70s and the 80s, but I'm guessing, Jaron, that it must have been sometime in 2013 when I first became aware of you. Does that sound right? Maybe 2014 or earliest 2015. That's when I made my first video was 2015. I remember reaching out to you real early on and you gave me great advice. You kind of said, I said, oh, you know, can I do a show with you? Can we, can I interview you? And you kind of just said, you know, for the most part, I like to chill and kick back and kind of observe. And I don't like to get involved in factions. And I suggest you don't either. And uh, that was kind of your first advice to me ever. And I was like, what's this guy talking about? And sure enough, I didn't listen because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I get involved in little factions. And then you find out that somebody gets exposed as this or that. And your name gets dragged into it. And you're like, no, I'm my own person. It's just so you nailed it, man. If I just would have listened to Crow, I'd be in a lot better place today. But uh, I learned. I learned my lessons with experience. And uh, 
that's my thing is just like Crow said, I don't expect anybody to be on the same wavelength as me. I don't expect you to believe what I believe. That would be insane if two people believed exactly the same things. Um, but I hope that people appreciate that I do like to research and I have a open mind and I'm able to clearly say, hey, I don't believe this or I don't believe that or I don't think this exists or that exists. And it doesn't mean you have to be on board. Uh, just listen, hear it out. And maybe, like I said, a year or two down the road, you're going to come across something and you're going to go, oh, now I get it. Well, there's my there's my faulty memory coming through because I put out the lunar wave clip after I'd held on to it for a year. Within 30 days, flat Earth went catastrophically big. And I was assuming that was when, but now that I think about it, um, I guess it was sometime later. By the way, the advice I gave you was about the flat Earth community because even at that time, I could already see the tee up for what was coming. But anyhow, I think, Jason, we're going to have you do the points that Jaron brought. All right. So let's start with this very excellent first one. Since they, they meaning the controllers of this world, whatever you want to call them, since they have deceived us on every level, which is something we obviously discuss so often on this program, it's pretty much all we discuss, what makes you think that they're telling us the truth about space? <laughs> this is no nonsense, almost to the point where if they told me space was up, I would say space is down and I'd probably be closer to something that mattered. I mean, what, what do you think, Jaron? Absolutely. It just baffles me that there's, we have gotten to the place where people say, oh yeah, we're being lied to. We're being lied to about this and we're being lied to about coronavirus and we're being lied to about uh, the vaccine. You name it. Somebody's got, we're being lied to about everything. But then when it comes to the lights in the sky that are, you know, 800 million miles away or whatever, that they couldn't possibly tell us a lie about. That has to be true. And everything about space has to be true. And it just bothers me because it's such an easy lie to tell when you're basically given an empty slate, which is really what space is, to where you can mathematically draw up whatever you want. And people think they've been fooled about math because we've been taught arithmetic, right? You know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and how provable that is. And there really is no question as far as that goes. But then they give you these distances and the sizes of these planets and this gravitational pull, and people get sucked into this trap of automatically believing, oh, well, those things must be true because it's math is involved when, no, I mean, I could give you my, I have an amusement park out in this island and I could give you all the, the mathematical facts about it, the incline of my roller coasters and how much clearance space there is and how fast the roller coaster goes. I can give you all those details about it. And yet the entire thing could be a fabrication. There's no, nothing real about it. There's no such thing as this amusement park, but just because it mathematically works out, and yes, you could take those numbers and put them on a draft paper and you could draw them up and it will all fit and be beautiful. It doesn't mean that that actually exists and people can't really seem to grasp that. So I think what I'm about to say, we probably both accept, but if that's not true, uh, I know you will tell me. Everything that we get about space is through the lens of science. What science is, even before it came to the fantastic levels we see now that we call scientism, even before that period, it's hypermaterialism. And what hypermaterialism does is refuses to recognize any spiritual reality in our world. And so this is historically why the scientists can't meet with those crazy people over there that believe in God. And these people who believe in God can't get next to these crazy people that believe in science. But let's think about what we know about this place, this place we call Earth. Um, how important is spirituality? And that question will be different for everyone who thinks about it. But the point is, through the lens of science, there is no room for that question. Anyhow, Jason, 
So let's kind of throw this out there. If you're going to challenge space, there's a lot of ways you can do that and a lot of things you can think about as far as what's right and what's wrong as to what you're being presented. But minimally, you have to think about this, I would think. When you see direct evidence of things going wrong that were being shown, you automatically know that there's deception on some level, at least. And a great example I always use is the footage that we've seen, and I think this has happened multiple times, when they're supposedly showing us live video from uh, the space station, from the ISS. And the astronauts glitch out, but the background stays there. Mm -hmm. The green screen thing is what you're pointing to. Right. Now, a lot of people might not realize what's going on there, and I'm going into this for a very good reason. A lot of folks just don't know how simple technology works, such as video layers. The average person would just look at that and be like, oh, it glitched out. I'm telling you because I'm a filmmaker. I've studied this stuff. I use the software. I know that stuff pretty well. And I'm telling you that that is impossible if you're talking about a single source. So if you just have a single camera on astronauts floating on a space station in space, it is literally impossible for either the background or the foreground to disappear, but not the other, because there is only one single video layer going on, meaning there is only one camera pointed in that direction. So part of it can't just glitch out with the other part just being perfectly fine. Now, a lot of folks just won't understand that that's a thing. So it doesn't prove to you that space isn't real. It doesn't prove to you anything except that whoever has chosen to show that transmission has decided to show you a deception. I would take that a little bit further by proxy if, you know, the truth needs no defense. So if they're caught lying, and I know Jaron can point out endless things. Well, I don't even know if it's available on YouTube anymore with all the censorship. But if they're caught playing the green scheme, the green screen game and the wire, you know, the, the Chinese martial arts wire system to fake space, or they were filmed upside down, which they did a number of times. What does that tell you about what it is they're supposedly portraying. In my mind, the logic shows you just got caught in a lie. So what you're talking about is also a lie. But Jaron, I mean, I know when I was around way back in the day, we were showing people hanging upside down on a Chinese wire system, green screening, any number of things we showed uh, to prove that the ISS videos were faked. Are those things still available? Do you think on YouTube at this point? I just don't know. Some of them are, but the hardest thing to find is usually what will happen is when somebody points out something brilliant like that, then they'll hide the original video. So then what you have is the debunkers asking you for the original video, right? Because they, they don't believe it because no flat earther could ever come up with something. No flat earther could ever discover something. So they, they say, you know, give me the original video. And then sometimes people have trouble finding that original, which seems to get uh, hidden. But you're, you're right about the different methods they use. It's another one is that people's debunk usually comes back and say, well, how did they fake this? How did they do this? And if you say, oh, that's a green screen, then they'll find something that would make a green screen difficult. I say, well, how about this? This doesn't, this couldn't be green screen. You're like, no, that looks like it's wires. Well, but I, and well, this can't be wires. No, that looks like it's, you know, some sort of a augmented reality. So there's all kinds of different ways. And that would be smart of them to not just choose one way to deceive you, but many so that it's very difficult. You can never put your finger on it and say, this is exactly how they're doing it. And it's really not even the important part, right? How they're faking it. Remember, they got the vomit comet. They've got, I've had people show me, you know, 30 minute so called unedited uh, tours of the space station. And they'll say, look, they did this. This is a 30 minute unedited, so it can't be in a vomit comet. And that's baffling to me as if people have, have, they think that their eyes are so good that they wouldn't be able, or they would be able to tell when scenes are spliced together. 
And that's insanity in today's world. Uh, you would never be able to tell that. So, you know, it's just, they've gotten way past the ability to be able to cut two segments together and you not notice the, uh, the cut. You know, we are definitely entering the end of the information age. And the thing that's going to kill the information age that was here for a very short time is search engines. I know you remember, Jaron, I did a, I did a clip on a supposed female astronaut showing you how to wash your hair up in the International Space Station. And it was just wrong on so many levels. The first thing I thought is, wait a minute, I was in the Marine Corps and women were in the Marine Corps. They had to cut their hair to spec. I had to cut my hair to spec. I had to have facial hair cut to spec. And we weren't, there was no no reason that our hair would mess up stuff. But this lady had hair halfway down her back. She was flinging water all over. And so I took it apart. In the course of that, I did research back when search engines used to deliver at least some good information. And I proved that the pool um, that this was being shot in when they were doing astronauts and certain things, uh, it had a green screen. One whole wall of that pool where they have the mock-up of the ISS had a green screen. And not long after I ran it, it became very difficult to get any angle of that pool showing the green screen. But here's the rub. I put that episode out, uh, taking apart the girl washing her hair in space, and I got a copyright strike and a threat to remove my channel. And when I looked at the copyright strike, NASA didn't give it to me. The government didn't give it to me. They had put music in the video that was copyright by a place called something entertainment. So here I am taking apart the ISS and something entertainment copyright struck me and they removed the videos. But do you remember the green screen in the pool, Jaron? Yeah, absolutely. The pool is so telling. It really doesn't make any sense. It's never the way that you would train people with the opposite kind of pressure. And I don't know if you've seen Crow, there's a, a painting, a mural on that wall of a half Vitruvian man, half astronaut, and there's some scuba divers bringing him some tools. And in the upper corner of that picture is a dome with a rocket breaking through the glass uh, ceiling. It's a huge mural on the wall there at the Neutral Buoyancy Lab. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if not, take a look. I think it's quite quite telling of a uh, of a depiction and yeah this whole double speak of everything that they've taught us with space and it really i think going back i wanted to cover what crow was saying that when you look back at this to me it's obvious that we're just talking about worldviews that the, the materialistic like you said the hyper materialism uh, the worldview of we are unimportant that we are just specks of dust but at the same time uh humans are the smartest thing to ever exist neil degrasse tyson and his buddies are the, the creme de la creme of intelligent minds and science is true, whether or not we believe in it and all these crazy things that they say. Whereas you can tell that it's a worldview that they have. Even I always talk about Edwin Hubble because he saw that uh, galaxies appeared to be moving away from us in every direction. And so while most people would say, oh, that kind of describes us being the center if everything's moving in every direction. And he gives his quote of saying that um, he has to stay away from the absolute horror of a unique position and that they're going to, so they basically had to brainstorm. And this is what so many great scientists, Einstein and these guys uh, are so famous for, held up, propped up for, is because they mentally came up with a way to describe what's going on while still staying in the paradigm that science had already built. So the way that Edwin Hubble did that is to say, well, if we were all little dots on a balloon and the balloon was being blown up. From no matter what dot you were sitting on, it would appear that every dot was moving away from you. So now, did we find the evidence for that and then go in that direction? No. Simply, if one 
direction was we are the center observationally, but they don't want to go there, then they just needed somebody to describe it in another way. And that's when Edmund Hubble came along and said, well, what if the universe was expanding and it all started from a point and it's spreading out and somebody's blowing up this magical balloon that we're all on? And so did they find evidence for that? No, they just went in that direction. So everything that's been built has been based off of faulty foundations. And when you do that, you're, you're so far from the truth that you, you can't just backstep a, f- a few places. And that's why you get these people saying, well, what do you say? You know, science is so unbiased. And these scientists, well, no, that's ridiculous. What you're forgetting is that it starts with a bias. And the bias is the worldview that we cannot possibly be the center. We cannot possibly be important. That's the worldview. That's the starting point. And so everybody who operates within science has already got a bias from the very, even whether they admit it or not. So to me, there's just a problem with people thinking that we've got scientists out there that are unbiased. They're almost like a gift from God. They're human beings who have no problems, who have no doubts, who have no inability to describe things incorrectly. They're just perfect. And people think that these experiments give us answers. They don't. The experiments show you results and you as a person, as a human thinking person, you have to determine what those results mean and where they apply and where they don't. And so the whole thing is a pretty big disaster because I'm not sure it's so easy to get back to being able to tell people, hey, this is the truth or that's the truth. So the problem is people want answers. That's how we were taught, right? Sit in this desk. That lady up there is going to give you all the, the truth in the world and you just need to memorize it and then be able to regurgitate it and boom, you're smart. That's how people want to live. That's how they want to be taught. And so when I talk about something different than what they've been taught, they immediately say, well, explain how your sun is staying up in the sky and explain how your moon is doing this and how big is it. And they want to know all these facts. And if I don't have them all at my disposal, then they would rather believe the lie that they're currently believing. That's fine for me. And I think even, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Feynman you know, said the same thing, uh, which is that I would, rather, I would rather everything that I believe is false. As long as I came up with those beliefs on my own and I wasn't kind of swayed by people I don't trust or who have lied to me before, rather than to go through my whole life thinking I know the truth, thinking I'm smart, thinking I'm intelligent and educated, and get to the end and realize that everything I believed was a fabrication and a, a setup for ulterior motives. Well, the, you know, the scientists of our age are just priests of a different ilk. In the same way, when you bump into the bishop or the cardinal, you can't argue with those credentials. When you bump into the PhD, you little puny workaday folks cannot argue with the credentials, except we can and except we should, um, because exactly what Jaron's laying down there, there's bias, uh, actually worse bias coming from this little box that says all you can know has to be scientifically provable and using scientific method. And by the way, the priests have added all these things you got to believe in now too. Then that might not even be in the science box, but these are the rules we're playing by. And you know, it just it it doesn't float any longer. And what's going to bring this down is what they're trying to destroy right now. We've come through an age change. Consciousness and spiritual concerns are skyrocketing compared to where they were a short 20, 30 years ago. That's what all these medical procedures are seeking to blunt or maybe outright destroy. But at the end of the day, there are going to be groups of us who don't take those offers. And we have a chance that some of us will be extraordinary. And in being extraordinary, we get back the idea that a huge part of the life of a living man or a living woman is spiritual if you want to grow. And that's what science is is blocking. In a little bit, actually, I'll put it out right now. I'm going to mention a book here. It's from the works of Rudolf Steiner. Now, here's the thing. If you've read 
The Light of Egypt, you know, Reverend Robert Taylor, other books that I've talked about, you will have a foundation to put together what's in this book. But what's in this book is probably not going to be for a good 80 or more percent of folks out there because there's no foundation to rest it on. The book is called The Spiritual Hierarchies and the Physical World, Zodiac, Planets, and Cosmos. Again, it's from the collected works of Rudolf Steiner. One of the things this book does is it creates a key and puts it in your hand for some of the keyholes that books like The Light of Egypt created for you to have in your mind. Here's the problem. I'm not a realized master. I am not clairvoyant to any degree that matters much. And so I can't have the proofs that the men are claiming who put these books together. But what I can do is I can put a lifetime of research to see if I see fault, to see if I see the narrative changing, and to see one basic, very simple thing. I know to the core of my being how important the sky clock is. Do they include it? And boy, howdy, they don't just include it. It is foundational. But you had mentioned, Jaron, that you've read some Steiner yeah, no, it's incredible because he, you know, goes to that next step, which is spirituality. It's where science drops the ball and you know tries to convince people that it doesn't exist at all. And I learned that probably first with the rice experiment. That when I did that experiment for myself, and it was so obvious, it was not a, a possible, you know, error on my part or uh, elaborate so people know. Sure. So we took. Uh, you know, equal amounts of cooked rice and put them in brand new mason jars and, uh, you know, sealed them right away. So we had three jars of cooked rice. Now they're all sealed. And we put love on one of them and wrote hate on the other and then neutral on the third. And we put them in the same cupboard so that they're not in separate places or you can't say the humidity here or there. And then every day at like nine o'clock, my alarm would go off on my phone and I would go in there and spend about a minute uh, yelling at the hate rice and telling it that I think it's a piece of garbage. And then loving the love rice and telling it uh, very nice things and it looked beautiful and, and then uh, leaving the neutral jar alone. And after about two weeks, you could tell it was starting to go that direction. But after about a month, uh, you had the negative rice or the hate rice that looked disgusting. It looked like it was molding. It looked black in there. It was getting gross. You had the neutral rice that looked kind of in the middle and you had the uh, love rice that looked edible. And it hit me at that point that this is something that science can never admit because they can't measure love or hate. So they cannot do an experiment around this idea because you can't say, oh, I put an X amount of love or I put an X amount of hate. And the same thing, even if you had a, uh, you know, let's say you've got some sort of scientist that was doing this test, well, you don't really know, does he really feel it? Is he just going through the motions and kind of saying some love words and saying hate words? It's something that science cannot touch. And so they just say it doesn't exist. Or if you've looked into a Dr. Moto and the water has memory, which I think is actually the same thing as this rice experiment is the fact that the rice has water in it. So really what you're doing is communicating with the water. And those ideas that we should be able to expand on are shut down by the current idea of science because science is all about materialism. You know, It's all about, yes, we can test this. Yes, we can measure that. And if you draw the line there, just think of how short you've drawn the line on your life. Think of how much you've cut off as to everything else that's possible and science has done a beautiful job of convincing people that we're just animals. We just uh, evolved, at, you know, even though their evolution story uh, has so many holes, it's ridiculous. It's still taught in schools. And, and many people realize that. There's a lot of people that are religious who realize evolution isn't the fact that science claims it to be. And yet, uh, when it comes to other subjects, you know, space being one of them, uh, where we live for the other one, uh, spirituality, they, they, 
they struggle with that one. And so I get it. When we've been lied to on a massive level, it becomes very difficult to accept new ideas. You're always thinking somebody's trying to fool you. And I'm not trying to fool you. I encourage you to please don't listen to me about the rice experiment. Do it just as I described it. Stay true to it. Make sure your alarm goes off at the same time. Make sure that you're uh, putting equal amounts of love into hate into each one. And you'll be shocked by the results. And then you'll realize that um, it's probably important that you tell your significant other every day how good they look and how young they look. And you don't yell at your children because you're creating that environment that causes the rice to go spoil. I remember when I learned that, the very first thing that changed is I used to have a dog that would bark in the backyard. And no matter what I was doing, I'd turn around and say, shut up, shut up, shut up, be quiet. You know, And then I couldn't do that anymore because I realized that that's exactly how I talked to the hate rice that would uh, a couple of weeks later basically become black and moldy. And so I questioned things like Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, does this stem from some sort of a, a negative treatment by the person that they're with where you just over time are breaking down that water or whatever gelatinous material might be in your brain that you're, you're breaking that down and causing it to go moldy. So there's so much to learn from that, but there's nobody who's able to replicate those results scientifically so that they're actually noticed by the world because you can't measure love or hate. So how do you put that on paper? How do you write a paper about that? You know, what's interesting about that, Jaron, is if you did that experiment six times in a row, I'd bet a wooden nickel that you would get the same results. That almost sounds like science to me because it's replicable. Yeah. But how do you how do you mark down how much love or hate you put in? Exactly. Well, we can't quantify those yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> well, there, there's the real proof in what Jaron's describing in my mind, the way that I think about it is what's happened here is you've proven at a level that soul and spirit exist, interact, um, have a bearing on things. And to take it further, if I was to ask you all the descriptions NASA's given you of what space is at any point. And this is a big deal. We're here on this place called Earth. There's all this expanse out there with magical planets and all these things that NASA has described. Here's one line that I'm not even going to give you the whole sentence, but it indicates what's missing. This is from the Steiner book. Dear friends, here is a passage from the Bhagavad Gita telling us that our progress through successive incarnations depends on. I'm not even going to finish the sentence. Think back through your life. Has anyone tried to address what happens? Lights out, we die, are we reincarnated? These are big, big, big questions. The biggest of them, the three biggest that I can think of is where do we come from? Where are we? And where can we go? And these are the things that have not been answered. So I'll give one more little wet the appetite. And just so everyone remembers, Rudolf Steiner, it's from his dialogues, the spiritual hierarchies and the physical world, zodiac, planets, and cosmos. See if I can read this without messing it up. One might have heard the word Mercury on the one hand and the word archangel on the other and would have known that they are one and the same. Archai and Venus refer to the same realm, as do sun and powers. On hearing the word Mars, one would have the feeling of the rising of might. Mars and might are equal in meaning in the older traditions. The word dominions is from the school of Dionysus and corresponds to Jupiter. And by the way, in this book, he takes time to tell us old St. Peter, you know, who helped found the Vatican, was a mystic of the highest level, a avowed master, and taught Dionysus. So you can see that we have access to all these things now 
that could be crucially, crucially important. But the problem is no one ever gave us a foundation. I was busy learning how to spell, read and write and, you know, regurgitate history. So this is why it's so critically important that people like Jaron, myself, Jason, we put all these ideas out. We point to the books that we've found and you as an individual have to work out what is acceptable to you at your current level. And I'm guessing most people listening are not ascended masters just to make a fine point. But sorry, Jason, that was a big fat mouthful. Hey, speak for yourself, ascended master. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What'd you think about that? Oh, you know what I wanted to add, Jaron, is let me ask the audience, how many people out there are interested in the Bible and read the Bible? I think I saw lots and lots of hands go up. What I just said is a key. You were just told that the sun and powers are interchangeable in the older way. The Bible was written in that older way. Now, every time you come across these words, you have a key to put in that keyhole. Archangel, I'm just saying. And what's it relate to? It relates to the sky clock. It's just that the men in black never mentioned it. But what do you think about all that, Jaron? Yeah, absolutely. Great points. And I know you talked about Steiner earlier. Have you guys done a a lot on what Steiner's opinion of vaccines is? Well, that's, you know, that's what... All my life, I keep reading excerpts of Steiner, picking up the book, reading part of a chapter and saying, my God, I got to get some Steiner. This is the first time uh, a week ago, I ordered five Steiner books very carefully, and I'm burning through them as quickly as I can. And the value is off the charts. And what you're referring to, I hope you know the title because I can't remember it, is in the early 1900s, Steiner told the truth about vaccines, about what masks do, any number of things. Do you remember the title, Sharon? I don't, I do have a paper that I could send you guys if you want to put it out as a link or something. There's a, a paper called Rudolf Steiner on traditional childhood illnesses or traditional vaccines and illnesses, something like that. And it goes through and it's all the quotes that he had that reference uh, childhood illnesses and vaccines. Um, so I'll get that for you because I know it's pulling from several different books. I'm trying to remember there's like soul economy. There's a thin little wispy one that I was handed that talks all about pandemic. Uh, Comets to cocaine. I'm trying to remember the other one. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it, but I, I do have a paper. It's you know, it's an, it's not terribly long. It's probably 20 pages or 21 pages, whatever. And it's just amazing when you read through it because he was nailing it. And this is why I'm very excited that I've got a one year old here. Well, it's, I guess he's 16 months old now, and he's never uh, had a vaccine or anything. And the excitement there is, I want to see what kind of person he becomes because unfortunately, I didn't get that luxury. And we'll never know if if that's what the intent was, is to remove spirituality. But it does seem like something's missing. It does feel like we all have this longing for something that's not quite tangible. And uh, I wonder if how much, you know, the, the, these vaccines were meant to possibly cause that. Oh, I, I think it's an actual mental neutering among other things. I also think it's going to stop a lot of offspring I think it's going to sterilize a lot of people probably, but here's the thing that I noticed not too long ago, Jaron, we we recorded with Howdy McCoskey, um, love to have him on. It's about the World's Fair. It's pretty clear that the World's Fair is just another major cover-up involved in resets, but one of the things is there seems to have been more nature-based technology that was super helpful. It reminds me of the Victorian age. Everyone out there listening, go back and look at some of the tech that was coming to be in the Victorian age. And some of the things they pulled off are mind-boggling. It almost feels like that Victorian science push was recognized at some point as, hey, man, we're going to be doing some really amazing things here shortly. And by the way, it's helping pretty much everybody. 
and someone slammed on the brakes as soon as we got to the 20th century or the 1900s. How can it be that Rudolf Steiner told us the truth about pandemics, about masks, about any number of things, and yet I'm well-read? And Jaron's saying, how much Steiner have you read, Crow? And I'm embarrassedly saying, two weeks ago, I ordered a, a fistful, and I'm burning through them as quick as I can. Because I swear to you, up until now, I have half a chapter or something. But I mean, I think it's 1909, the book that I'm referencing. Jaron, we knew these things in 1909. Yeah, it's amazing what they've been able to to hide and, and conjure up. And I mean, I don't know where you stand with history, Crow, or how much you can believe, because there's really just not a lot you can bank on anymore. And usually that's where people want to start. And they treat history like it's some sort of science or provable in some way. And really, it's just it's just not. It's just not. We have to... Even if we were to take over the world today, me and Crow take over the world, it's going to be very difficult for us to piece back together the past. I mean, even if we thought we came to some conclusion or we said, oh, we found this hidden paperwork here that says this is actually what happened, we could never prove that that's true. We would either take it on faith or try and match it up with evidence. But when it comes to history, man, it's very difficult for us to uh, piece that together. So really, it needs to be more about what we can do. Uh, going forward, because I think a lot of what history has told us is simply a setup for the way they want the world to run. And uh, I've, I've made a lot of people up very upset when I, when I go through the math involved and how many grandparents we'd had, um, you know, just as short as say 600 years ago and how many grandparents we would have had going back further to like say 1100. And you get into a number that becomes impossible to be true. Meaning I think if you go back to 1100, each one of us would have had over a billion, whatever you want to call them, ancestors. And that's a problem because there's not a billion people supposedly in 1100. So you, you have to realize then, well, we have to stop counting up. And I'm basically, I'm basing that off of, I've got two parents. They each have two parents and those two parents have two and go on. So you just double that number, two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, so on and so forth. So very quickly, just like this you know, story goes with, if you double a penny every day for a month, you'll end up with over a million dollars. It's the same kind of deal when you're going with generations of really what's only about 25 years of generation, uh, meaning that you're 25, you have your child. When they're 25, they have a child and so on and so forth. But by going by that number, it just gets very, very high too quickly. Uh, you realize that I think humans are more recent. I don't mean like there was no people before that. I do think that's that there were people before that. And I don't know if there's some sort of cataclysm or some sort of reset event, um, but we might be nearing that again. Whereas they kind of keep coming out with these same stories. And it's kind of weird that all of our books are basically rewritten in around 1600, about the same time the printing press supposedly came out. And we just have all these old books that people bank too much on. And they say, oh, well, Pliny the Elder wrote this, or Aristophanes did this in 200 BC. And all that is based off of things that have been rewritten after being rewritten after being rewritten in like 1600. So to me, I just don't draw a lot on history anymore. And when you do get some leaks in the cracks, like the stuff from Rudolph, and that stuff I do think we can kind of bank on. I don't think these things were made up when you're talking about books written in the early 1900s. Uh, a lot of those are, are legit. And so I think we can find so much truth there. They just hide it from us. And anytime they don't teach you somebody in school, I want to, this is the first person I want to look into. Well, anyone who wants to read history, go read Suppose Napoleon. He told you the truth. History is a lie agreed upon. Right. But it's much worse than that, actually. At this point, I accept as much as I can accept anything that there is a, a period of time called pre-Alantean and there was a catastrophe. And I mean a mega catastrophe. I don't think anyone who researches what we can get, uses logic and common sense, can sidestep that. As a matter of fact, 
and this might interest you, I did an episode with the great, 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 many great grandnephew of St. Germain. His name is Fortune Germain. He has some very interesting ideas about the Atlantean period. So something wiped out immeasurable amounts of what was here, including living men and women. And the ocean got its name. But other than that history, it's like this hocus pocus, you know, UFO idea. Although I shouldn't say that because UFOs are supposed to be believable here pretty quick. Um, the point I'm making is that no matter how you work the numbers, Jason and I did this, um, or I did this when we went into our effort to prove that the population of the world has been falling since the 70s. Even if you take the generation number and jack it up to 35 or 40, you still end up with way too many people. So it's pretty clear that we've been lied to about our history, that there have been resets or something, whatever that might have been. And that's why I offered everyone the worship of Augustus Caesar by an author called Del Mar, because he proves beyond the shadow of argument that it's all poppycock. He even goes so far as to say it is not possible to have any history beyond the 12-month calendar, and most of that is unreliable. So there's all that. And by the way, Jason, I see why you didn't do the stars. It didn't work the way we were about to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I, kind I don't know like the way we go off on different tangents. And, yeah, no, but it's a great conversation. I love talking to you guys about this stuff. And there's not enough people that are out there that are open enough that aren't very defensive of whatever their position is. And it's um, probably one of the most shocking things I've seen that I didn't expect from the so-called truth community is when I got into it, I was very excited about, oh man, this is just, I get to have an open mind, way different things. And I quickly realized that there's people out there, well, you might want to call them gatekeepers, whatever. It's more people that... Uh, tell you they know the truth about a subject. And if you come and doubt it, or you have a different opinion, all of a sudden they want to fight you or they want to uh, you know, go on their channel and, and call you a shill because you have a different opinion than them. They're dogmatic. It's just like yeah. being part of a religion or something like that. Which is why I got out of that, right? I mean, I grew up Christian and uh, you know, I remember I had the hardest time ever looking outside the Bible. Why? Because I was told that anything from outside the Bible is from Satan. And when you're told that, that's a very difficult hurdle to get over because if you start looking outside that, well, you've already been told it's from the devil. So how do you ever research outside of the Bible? If And then you're like, well, I can't. So the only thing I can look at is the Bible. It is all the truth. It is the only place I can look. And then you would find things like, you know, I always talk about Romans 13, where it says all governments are placed here by God. And if you go against governments, you go against the ordinance of God. Uh, that That's, you know, well, I want to look outside the Bible at that point, because that does not seem to be something that would be written by the, the creator. And um, so once you're able to break free from that for a second and just start looking at everything and weighing your options, you um, I'm just excited to be able to have an open mind, to be able to weigh different things, to take some things in and say, yeah, maybe. And other things say, oh, no, it doesn't fit right now, but more people need to do that. And that's why, I mean, like I said, uh, you guys have been great because you're able to have that conversation. I wish more people could. It doesn't mean that we have to buy into what each other's saying or you know, adopt it right away. It just is interesting to listen to these things and be open. David Avocado Wolf, somebody like that, man. I love that guy. He's come over my house a few times and we'll just sit back and talk for three, four hours. And it just flies by because we're just like this, we're just bouncing things back. And what do you think of this? And what about when so-and-so wrote that? And uh, he sees it. So I just wish more people were aware of that. And I run as far as I can from anybody telling me that they know the truth. <laughs> you know, somebody's out there telling me, doesn't matter if it's the truth or anybody, anybody who says they know the truth, uh, that screams to me that they don't. 
Well, I want to pull this back around to space because we did promise some space, although I like the other conversation we're having better, but we got to do what we got to do. You put a header into the notes called going nowhere, which I love, which I love. (laughs) I don't think this is a bold claim. I don't think this is a challengeable statement. I think the facts and logic by the face of what we can see prove that they have gone nowhere. Uh, The first idea that you have here is let's go president by president over the past, wait for it, 11 presidents. There's a number. Yeah. When you do, you realize it's a back and forth thing. And it wasn't even hard to realize that. basically wrote on a piece of paper, each of the last presidents, and then went and found out what was their focus space-wise. And you'd find out, okay, Obama, okay, uh, Mars. Okay. Then you would go the president before him and, oh, it's moon. President before him, Mars. President before him, moon. And you realize, oh, I see what's going on here. This is just a, a volleyball or a volley back and forth and must be by design. So, you know, I kind of said that when they announced that in 2024, I think that was the most recent one, right? That we'd be going to the moon. And I said, well, this is, you know, there'll definitely be a presidential change at that time. And I, and I was able to predict that saying that, which seems to be correct. I, I pretty much will guarantee that Biden will not be president in 2024. So, what you can kind of discern from that is that there'll be a policy change again. So right now, as we know, 2024 is supposedly the date that they're going to go to the moon. So you watch, it's going to creep up there. Then they're going to have to kind of keep pushing it back. And then there'll be another, another change. And if you don't know, the head of NASA is picked usually by the president. It's an executive position. So whoever becomes president will name a new person and the new person will come in and say, oh, I don't like the way we're doing things and we're going to change it up. And I mean, all you need to look at, look what happened with the James Webb telescope that was supposed to be done in 2007 at a $500 million budget. And they just supposedly launched it, if you want to believe that story. And that's um, you know, basically in 2021 or 2022, you're talking about you know, 15 years late and it, $11 billion. Uh, any other position in the world, any other job, everybody would be fired. You were 15 years late, you were way over budget, but instead NASA gets celebrated. And this is what happens when you have the PR team that NASA does when you're able to put out AP news stories whenever you want. Uh, imagine if we had that capability, if Crow could just put out an AP news story that gets plastered all over the press to 30 minutes later about whatever he wanted. Well, whatever Crow wanted to convince people is true would be very easy for him to do. You are you have an easy outlet to the entire world. And that's what NASA has. So they can find, you know, oh, we grew lettuce in space and they can put that out as a press release. And hey, the James Webb telescope just went up and it's the greatest telescope that's ever existed. And that's what the news agencies get. And that's what they put up there on the screen. And then they say, oh, today... NASA is, you know, launched this crazy telescope to be the furthest we've ever looked at. And we can see in the, in, in the future, in the, I mean, into the past, which is probably one of the funnier claims of all time by science that nobody makes fun of them for, is they actually have people believing that the little tiny fleas on this ball earth are able to construct tubes with glass. And if they carve them just right, we can see back in time. And people jump on that and say, we can see those stars are, you know, this one's uh, 10 million light years away. People don't realize what they're now. You're seeing 10 million years in the past. Give me a break. Give me a break. Which, which on the face of it, means that those telescopes are time machines, right? Yeah, exactly. And we believe these guys, <laughs> or that we live in the 50 year period of time. Think of this story they tell us of the Earth's history 4.54 billion years. When you start getting billions, yeah, maybe we can grasp that, but we can't grasp trillions really. But billions, okay, maybe we can grasp that. But you know, 4.54 billion years is the age of the Earth. And we live in the 50-year period of time that humanity is now so smart that these men of renown, these guys who basically read a book for four years in college, can now tell you the age of the earth, can now tell you 
uh, everything about evolution. They can rewind the sky clock and get to the beginning of time, and they know exactly the temperature and what was making up space and how everything came from nothing and just expanded and cooled and coalesced into everything we have today. And you know, you got all the inner planets that gathered all the stones and rocks, and the gas decided to go to the outer planets. It's just a beautiful, beautiful story. Do you know what making something from nothing is called? It's called <laughs> magic. Ah, yes. Well, they're great at telling stories. Their stories are are fantastic. They, and, and it's so funny because as you learn about these things, you start like even remember learning about Galileo and him going to the top of the tower and dropping. And now that's been admitted to be it never even happened. I mean, it's like uh, everything science does is these stories that kind of get you sucked into this uh, this lore of men of you know men of great that wanted to break away from the church, and so they started doing testing and experiments and. Oh, humanity has grown since then. There's something I'd like to point out that you mentioned uh, before that's a really important thing. You said the James Webb Telescope took 15 years to get going to wherever it's supposed to be now. 15 years after over, over the expected date. Yeah, so it took a lot longer than that. <laughs> but think about this. How much has computer and, and camera technology changed in the last 15 years? Were they changing it on the way? Good point. Or... Is this thing supposedly using 15-year-old technology? I mean, the, the sheer fact of what I can buy, I can make almost Hollywood perfection movies on the gear that's sitting around me right now. That was right. not possible 15 years ago. That's just how much things have changed. So what about this crap with the uh, telescopes? Same thing with the supposedly going to the moon or the Mars and all that. How the hell in a single president's term, whether it's four years or they get the eight years, are you trying to tell me you think you're going to, unless you do the magical Apollo thing where you did do it in eight years, <laughs> but you seriously are going to do this in that person's time frame? Like it's not even a practical consideration when you think about the expenditure. Let's say they even pulled it off going to the moon. Let's say that really did happen. Do you seriously think you're going to get to a planet that's a zillion times further away in a president's term of office? That's just preposterous. And it's actually the excuse that I get from a lot of these science believers, right? If you ask them why we haven't gone back or why we haven't, they always use that one, right? Well, it's politics, man. I mean, there's, the president's only there for eight years. We never have enough time. We never have enough money. And it's like, okay, yeah. So do you see the point? Do you see why those things are happening? And it's just the numbers that they give to, or you mentioned the James Webb, you know, the temperature that they say they have to cool the mirrors to, um, to have them work is negative 350 Fahrenheit. And it's just laughable to me. It's like when they land a thing on Mars and it comes down with a parachute, but we were told that it's 1% atmosphere, <laughs> which is equivalent to about 150,000 feet high uh, here. So it's hilarious when, when these guys that I know send up, like Dwayne Kellum, send up their space balloons. Um, when that parachute, when the balloon pops at about 120,000 feet or so and starts falling, you don't get a, a parachute for quite a while. I mean, the parachute's floating there, but it, there's no wind. There's no air. There's nothing to slow it down. So it's just falling through the, but yet on Mars, we can fly things in at tens of thousands of miles per hour and then slow them down with miracle um, parachutes. And then we can fly helicopters on Mars too. And, um, you know, I, the space stories are, are hilarious that the, the mushrooms that somebody, I mean, clearly showed that there was the same location that the supposed rover was photographing where between a matter of eight days, mushrooms grew there was you know there was tiny these little spores. you can never tell what they were at first and then the thing came back around and took pictures of that area again eight days later and there's mushrooms there so mushrooms are growing on mars well it was brought up and nasa poo-pooed and said no these are rocks and they fell from we don't know where and well no clearly there are mushrooms that are growing on earth and that's where your pictures are taken from 
probably Devon Island up in uh, Northern Canada. So no matter what you find about these things, then they just have answers for them. And no, no, no. The reason for that is because that's where they practice. What do you mean? They practice Mars in, on Devon Island. Why wouldn't they just build a, a Mars yard here in Aptos or wherever they are and practice there? Why would you need to go to Northern Canada way out in the outskirts hiding from everybody to practice your Mars stuff? And it just comes down to people who have such a great love of science and the idea that man is so fantastic. They can never lie. They can never deceive you. And people just buy into it and they love that science. They love it. Uh, we're hitting the top of the hour here, but I'd like to give a good example of what you were referencing with the atmospheric conditions. Mm. So pressure is pounds per square inch, and that's how much gas of the respective atmosphere is squeezed into a place. Could you drive your car? Could your tires go if it was only 1% pounds per square inch of what they actually need, whether it's 35 PSI or whatever? What would happen? Obviously, they'd be flat, right? They wouldn't go. It's the same concept here. How would a parachute in a 1% atmosphere have any means of catching the pounds per square inch that would be necessary for it to function? And I'm sure they have excuses for all of this. Right. But uh, anyway, it's just do this little thought experiment. Picture this in your mind and see what you come up with. But Crow, I think we're just about there. All right. Well, one of the biggest tells as we wrap up our one is how in the hell can so many people give a pass to the fact that in 1968, they got really serious building stuff and they landed someone on the moon and brought them back by the end of 1969. They had no computers like we do now. And what they are telling us is it's not possible because this magic dude, Werner von Braun, he created everything in his head and we can't replicate it. The blueprints are gone, but whatever you want to believe, how is it possible if you compare an automobile from 2022 to an automobile in 1968 and 69, it's like they almost didn't even look like the same thing anymore and what they're capable of. It is not possible that we pulled a thing off in 69 that we can't do today. In a real world, you do a thing to do that thing again becomes easier. But in hour two, we will get into Werner von Muscley Braun. Jaron, you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, just uh, the website's jaronism.com, but I'm at YouTube at jaronism for who knows how much longer. I'm also at rockfin, so rockfin.com slash jaronism. And I'll, I'll tease the second half as well, based on what you guys just said. People just need to recognize that. Think of how much they've built up Elon Musk and how great he is that he's able to launch this tin can, whatever it's called, the star hopper, whatever. And finally, I think recently, he's been able to bring it back and have it land, if you want to believe that. And that story alone, and he's great. Now, look, at he's launching things five miles in the air and it's coming back and landing. Yet, 50 years ago, we put men into a tin can and launched them 250,000 miles away. They went to an unknown body that they'd never landed on before. They landed there, got out and did their fun things and played golf and called the president and all that fantastic stuff. They got back into orbit, launching from the same craft that they just landed in that they'd never been able to test to launch this craft. It had two people on it. it connects with the other one that's orbiting around the moon. It shoots back to Earth and drops in the ocean, and we go get those guys, and everybody's great, and let's have some parades. Fantastic. And now 50 years later, there's a guy who's considered the richest man in the world and the smartest man in the world, supposedly, some sort of polymath, I guess, and with no rocket training. He's got no kind of propulsion training, and he's launching these crafts just five miles in the sky, and they're coming back and landing with nobody in them. They didn't go land on a foreign body. They don't have to take off again from the craft that landed. There's no people in there. And yet we're celebrating this person as he's some sort of a technological genius. If you can't see the problem there, 
and realize that something doesn't add up, well, then um, I got a bridge to say. God, America used to be so great. <laughs> we were so smart back then. Just... Yeah, you get Walt Disney, Werner von Braun, Arthur C. Clarke, and Kubrick in the same room, and you know it's going to work. <laughs> Anyhow, that, that brings hour one of episode 390 to a close with Jaron and Jason Lindgren. Join us on the other side at Crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. We're going to blow out a full another hour. Hope to see you there. And I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.